You ready? Uh, <laughs> Let's do Here it. We go. Here we go. Here at Steady State Podcast, we are really interested in backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. By sharing stories about the humanity of our sport, we're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates real life experience from launch to coxie at every level. We're Tara Morgan and Rachel Friedman, and this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode, a conversation with Liz Winter. When she learned to row in the late 1970s, Liz was excited to have a place to be unladylike. She fell in love with putting power behind the oar and moving boats fast. After landing in Pittsburgh in the 80s, Liz was involved in developing Three Rivers Rowing Association, focused on creating community. Now retired, she's combined her experience as a lawyer, social worker, coach, and educator with a U.S. Rowing Level 3 High Performance Coaching Certification. We deep dive into coaching education, trauma-informed coaching, and the importance of building trust. If you missed it, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast or anywhere you get podcasts. This episode is made possible in part by Concept2 and our newest sponsor, Breakwater Realty in Portland, Maine. Become a sponsor for as little as $65 at steadystatenetwork.com slash sponsors. Every year, the Concept2 Holiday Challenge raises thousands of dollars to donate to charity. Row and give at concept2.com. If you were at head of the Charles this year and stuck around Boston through Sunday afternoon, you might have caught a glimpse of a community rowing crew with a combined 720 years of rowing experience. Coach Catherine Sorella put together what she calls her dream team, an octogenarian eight. In this episode, we're talking with Coach Sorella, Cox and Bill Buckley, and rowers Lee Warren and Alan McLennan about lifelong fitness, being relentlessly active, and those moments you can only find after shoving off the dock. My name is Catherine Sorella. I learned to row in 1986 when I was 18. My name is Bill Beckleen. I learned to cox when I was 14 years old in 1950. And I learned to skull when I was probably 50 years old, around the mid-1980s. My name is Lee Warren, and I learned to row in 2012 when I was 72 years old. I'm Alan McLennan. I learned to row in 1944 on Pleasant Bay. Uh, I was lucky enough to grow up in the summers on a place that was on this beautiful area. And our grandparents did not allow any motors in our waterfront activities. So the only way we went to see people was by rowing or by sailing. And then I finally got into a legitimate boat in 1957 when I was a freshman at Harvard. Hello, rowers. Hello. Oh, Good morning. <laughs> Hi, Alan. Hi, Hi Lee. Lee. How are you? Good. How Hello. are you? And there's Hi, Bill. Bill. Oh, gosh. Goodness. Our hero. Yes. <laughs> Our leader. Yeah. There he is. Yes. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, hello. Hello. Where where is everybody today? 
I'm in Concord, Massachusetts, in my office. Concord, Mass. Lee, where are you? I'm in North Sandwich, New Hampshire, looking out over the forest and a mountain. Oh, and a okay. real brilliantly sunny day. Love. I'm in South Orleans on Cape Cod, overlooking uh, Pleasant Bay, where I learned to row in 1943. Wow. And Catherine, I, I recognize that space. I'm in the boathouse. That looks like the boathouse. I'm in the boathouse. Yeah. Well, Rachel and I are in the Washingtons. Well, Rachel is in Washington, D.C., right there on Capitol Hill. And I'm oh. actually on Vashon Island in Washington State. Thank you, everybody, for being with us this, this morning. I'm really excited to meet all of you and talk with all of you about rowing and our rowing lives and what this crazy sport has meant to all of us. All right. So one of the favorite things we'd like to ask on a scale of one to 10, how is your rowing week going? Um, my <laughs> rowing week currently, we've just started winter training. So it's just kicked into gear. The boathouse is full jam packed today. Um, I started this morning with a, my first class was a six o'clock learn to erg. Then I had a seven o'clock yoga class. Then I had a, uh, eight o'clock, 30, 30, 30. So 30 minutes of yoga and stretching, 30 minutes of erging, 30 minutes of strength and balance. I have you guys, I then have para after this, and then I'll have potentially uh, para at the VA. And that's today. And it's a full day of yeah, great day. That sounds like a really fun day. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually, that's how my world rolls. And what's your official title there at CRI? Coach. Just a coach. How about everybody else? So I can I can answer that because I have been, and in fact, I'm going to be rowing with my doubles partner, who I've rowed with for now 22 years, in probably 10 head of the Charles, which we won one year under a funny circumstance, which I might describe later. Uh, but we're rowing at three <laughs> o'clock this afternoon, and again tomorrow morning, probably around eight o'clock, I would guess. Just oh, to get some miles on the boat. That's fantastic, Bill. How often would you say you get the chance to row these days? Not as often as I'd like. And I'm a coxswain by trade, uh, as Catherine knows, since I coxed the, uh, I call it the Octo 8. But I took up sculling when I was 50 years old, and I much prefer rowing in our double than I do coxing. So, yeah. Are you rowing oh. on the Charles? Oh, yeah. Out of Cambridge Boat Club. <clears throat> So I, I got off the water uh, probably about the 15th or 16th of November. Uh, we row on a, on a pond here in, in Harwich and Brewster called Long Pond. And uh, it's set up so that if you follow the shoreline, you get 10,000 meters. Mm -hmm. And my goal is every day to do 10,000 meters in my single skull with some other people. It is highly weather dependent. Uh, <laughs> wind comes out of the wrong direction. But we row off a beach. You can't get off the beach. So uh, we pulled our boats out about the 18th of November. And then since then, uh, it's a goddamn erg, <clears throat> uh, which I try and do every morning uh, at sunrise. And I do it with my eyes shut because I hate to look at the meter and what I've done is I've memorized my path around Long Pond. Oh, and so I row uh, in my head by every 
pier, boat, house, whatever it is, all the way around Long Pond. And that makes 10,000 meters very enjoyable over the hour. So uh, that's what I'm doing now. Wow. Yeah, okay. I, I, I finished uh, rowing maybe a little earlier in November. I row on Squam Lake and it's oh, a big lake. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. you, if, if there's any wind, you can't go out. And by this time in the year, the, the lake is empty of people. So I kind of skirt along the shore in case if I fell in, I could get easily, <laughs> easily to shore and there'd be nobody there to help me. So I sometimes take my shoes with me so I could walk out for several miles. I ended a little bit earlier and I haven't started erging yet. I don't like erging and I'm waiting for my erging class to start. Well, Catherine will vouch for this because I'm sure it's true at CRI, but on the Charles River now, which has actually, the water has been under 50 degrees for three days and pretty much every boathouse and club along the river has uh, implemented what they call the four oar rule, which is mm -hmm. you can't take a boat out unless you have at least four oars. Done obviously because of the tendency of singles to flip and the <laughs> tendency of bodies to get paralyzed uh, from uh, the cold water if you happen to flip. Yeah, the, the four or rule, I think, is pretty universally used. We have that here as well. But I like what Alan said about going out in a group, um, because that can also be a good safety measure, uh, wearing your high vis and being out in a group and having your phone with you and all those good tactics and everything. But, yeah, and I, yeah. I always wear when I'm rowing on Squam. It's such a big lake. I always wear a little uh, life jacket around my waist, you know, that you could pull the cord on and I have a whistle and I have these various things. Well, one of the ways that we like to get, have our listeners get to know you is we do this thing called rapid fire. So we're going to ask you a few short questions and we're going to have you order answer in a certain order. Catherine, then Bill, then Alan, then Lee. Okay. So Here's the first question. Port or starboard? Both. Cox one, uh, but I wear a single. I mean, a uh, single or a double stall. So both. 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 And in our octogenarian eight, I had never been in an eight before. So I rode starboard. <laughs> I, I told Catherine uh, in the, leading up to the eight that I rode every seat except stroke. So where did you end up? Yeah. Where did you end up? Stroking. Uh, <laughs> and he did, he did a great job. He did a great he job. He's terrific. Yeah. It yeah. was the perfect time for you to have that opportunity to row stroke seat, Alan. Oh, yeah. pretty good, too. Okay. Uh, next question. <laughs> I know a lot of you row in small boats, but bow seat or stroke seat? Or I'm needed. I always row bow in the double. I'm a coxswain after all. I'll, I'll row any. Yeah, I'll row. I like, in the eight, I liked being in the middle someplace. But good. otherwise, I'm rowing singles. So right. I, I both bow and stroke. In in my earlier eight period mm -hmm. in the late 50s, I rowed bow or two most of the time. Unisuit or tank and trow? <laughs> Prefer tank and trow. Oh, I... I'm not even sure I'd roll, I'd roll in rowing clothes. Yeah. Tight <laughs> pants and a t-shirt. <laughs> my my bike pants and any shirt that I put on that day. Yeah, I wear I wear a t-shirt and some little gym pants or something. Okay. Favorite coxswain command to receive or give? 
Hey, my my favorite coxswain uh, used to sing to us. Yeah, that was fun. Anything particular? Oh, he would sing things that I can't repeat. Last 20 strokes. <laughs> um, having only done this once with an ex-Olympian, I liked my coxswain saying, you're right on 24, keep going. You're doing a great job. Yes, and I loved our coxswain who kept saying, you're doing a great job all the way down, all the way down the Charles. <laughs> and they did. It was terrific. Yeah. So we, did, we did not have one bad stroke. We got to a point where we were clicking at the same time. It was just, yeah. that was magical to me. Oh, yeah. Isn't it was. When you can oh, hear it. You could hear it. it clunk, clunk. And we were all at the exact same instant. I just thought, oh, my God, that's why people like this. Yeah. Yes. That's what we're all we're all waiting for that and working yeah. towards that. Yeah. The one thing I usually will tell all of my boats, whether they're learning to row or they're this kind of a group, um, come on, smile. Rowing's fun. I mean, not everybody gets to do this fun activity. <laughs> well, I never thought of that. <laughs> well, there's the different types of fun. Type one fun, it's fun while it's happening. Type two fun is it's fun when it's over. And type three fun is you fun months later when you talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So what would you say is the best place to row from your experience? Oh, that's a hard question. Um, I actually came out of Omaha and was rowing on lakes in Omaha, which was kind of nice because especially in the fall, but anytime you can row in the fall after all the boats of all the other motor boats have gone away is always lovely. Yeah. Easy question for me. I've rowed in a lot of places around the world and there's no better place than the Charles. I, I would have to agree with Bill uh, because most of my miles have been on the Charles uh, with a 50 year hiatus, of course. But I wanna add something. Three years ago at the beginning of the pandemic, Jim Deeth showed up at our club and he said, I've just found a fantastic place to row. And it's over in Mashpee and it's Mashpee Wakeby Pond. And we're going to start a ponds regatta, 7,500 meters uh, with a handicap. And this was an invitation only. We all arrived with our masks on the beach and we kept the protocol and we rode it. <clears throat> and the exciting thing was there were 45 rowers, wow. six ex-Olympians. Mm. Oh. For me, that was a truly exciting day on a beautiful pond. I mean, you had to go up this circuitous course. Jim said, you know, you got to be careful because it gets shoal some places. And then he confided <laughs> in us before the regatta that he went out and tested and he ran his, his single aground and had to send it back to the shop to be rebuilt. So it was buoyed <laughs> and everything, but it's a fantastic place to row. Now, was that a one-off or has he run that event again? Uh, it's now We've now done it for three years in a row. Okay. Oh, that's neat. Really exciting. Lee, what about you? Where's your favorite place to row? I love rowing on Squam Lake. And you get out there in the middle of the lake and they're surrounded by woods and hills. And in the, in the fall, it's every color right down, you know, those brilliant reds right along the rocks around the edge. And it is so beautiful. I have to go in the morning before the boats come out and the, you know, the wake boats and the other boats. But um, I just, just the view is uh, enough to, 
Thank you. And also, I don't have to worry about getting through this bridge and go around this corner and that log that's jutting out and these these uh, these eights filled with 18 year olds that are coming tearing at me. I can I can just roll. All right. So we have one last question for our not so rapid rapid fire. This is the most important question of all. Coffee before or after a row? Both. Not a coffee drinker. You know, I, I did all my coffee in the Navy and the submarine service so that I stopped at cold turkey and I haven't had a cup for 50 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't drink any caffeine. Oh, wow. Yeah, everybody has very unique responses to that. And Rachel and I are actually both tea drinkers, but we always find it fascinating people's before and after workout habits. And, and we figured the coffee question was the most uh, equitable across the board for our listeners. What was going on in your lives when you learned to row? And then what was it about rowing that got you hooked? Well, I had uh, just retired. And that uh, winter, I got a Groupon for six weeks of rowing at CRI, at Community Rowing. And it was in the winter. It was on ERGS. And at the end of it, I thought, oh, you know what? This is perfect. It exercises every part of my body, my legs, my core, my arms, and there is no impact. I'm not going to wreck my knees by doing this. So that was it for me. And I've always loved water sports. So canoeing, sailing, swimming, kayaking. I fell in five times in the first year, but that was easy. In the Charles, the water came up to my knees. I went home. I washed everything in blazing hot water and survived True. happily. So, yeah. at, so at CRI and your learn to row experience, it was learning to row in a single yeah. And they started us off in a tubby for the first six weeks or eight weeks or whatever it is. And uh, when we moved into the skinny little boats, I got on into the boat and on the water and I was going, you know, shaking all over. I said, coach, coach, what can I do? He said, relax. And I thought, what a life lesson. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is it. Relax. I didn't exactly relax, but it helped. So, Bill, what about you? What was going on in your life when you uh, got into rowing and what what about it really hooked you? Well, yeah, uh, I, I think I can say that I was a very early beneficiary. Uh, this would be 1950 of a diversification, equity and inclusion effort by a New England prep school by the name of Exeter. It was trying to find kids from the Midwest to offset all the kids they had going to school there from Connecticut and Massachusetts. And it turns out, and I didn't realize this at the time, but the guy they sent to the Midwest, Midwest to look for kids had been the coxswain of the Harvard crew in 19, I think 30, uh, 29, 30, 31, something like that. At the time I was living in Kansas City, Missouri, had never heard of crew in my life and weighed 80 pounds. And I am now convinced <laughs> that the guy that I interviewed to go back to Exeter saw me as a potential coxswain. And gosh, when I got back to Exeter in the fall of 1950, what could I do but go out for crew? And I got, uh, I got attracted pretty quickly. I ended up in the varsity crew my sophomore year. And it's a long story, but I'll make it short. We won the Eastern, the New England uh, prep school regatta in the spring of 1952 when I was a sophomore. 
we ended up going to the Olympic trials three weeks later and winning the first heat as a high school crew. We sat Harvard in California. What? You know, into the semis. Yeah. Into the repertoire. Yeah. 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 So I got hooked real soon. Yeah. <laughs> Although here's a funny part of the story. I quit crew after that. Went out to play lacrosse because I got tired of sitting in the back of the boat doing nothing. And then how <laughs> long did you around. stick with lacrosse? Well, I, I wasn't very, very, very good at lacrosse. I played club <laughs> lacrosse. I didn't make the varsity, but I got sucked back into the sport uh, when I got to Yale as a freshman, actually by an Exeter classmate of mine who ended up being the stroke of our Olympic crew, who talked me into going out for crew at Yale, and it, the rest is the story of my life. Catherine, uh, what about you? So I uh, went to the University of Nebraska, and right before that, I'd been lifeguarding, and there was a one of the fellow lifeguards was the coxswain at uh, UNH, and ended up going, and it's like, oh, okay, uh, heard a little bit about it, but went to Nebraska and was walking by the boathouse and was like, oh, yeah, I think I want to do that. First day of <laughs> practice go out to the dock and there's this woman stretching on the dock. Come to find out she was one of my best friends from dancing in the Omaha Ballet Company. So like, oh, this is where um, old ballerinas go. They go to rowers. <laughs> so. I told you about rowing at four, but that, that's, you know, go through a landlocked high school. There's no crew or anything like that. But I, I think there was something in my family on my father's, input that when you went to Harvard, you were going to go out for crew. And uh, he had rowed briefly, but had to stop because of a health issue. So uh, I went to Harvard and I was going to row. And I had never been in an eight before. Uh, I'd been in rowboats. Yes, I knew what the oar did and uh, was committed to uh, learn in the Leviathan barge first and then slowly work <laughs> up. And uh, got into it very seriously freshman year in the fall and then in the spring. And uh, I was the last guy out of the final freshman eight. Um, so I rode in the, in the second boat. And in the process, I damaged my back. So uh, trying to row too hard, I think. So I stuck with it. Uh, and it's a small bit of history. The combi combination crew at Harvard rode against the combination crew at Yale in the spring of 1958. Yale had been dominant in the Harvard-Yale regatta for Bill's term there. And uh, our combi crew was the first Harvard boat to beat Yale in a number of years. Now we were 4V basically, but our freshman won, our JVs lost and our varsity lost because that was Bill's last coxswain time at Yale, I believe. And for the next three or four years, Harvard dominated Yale. So we were in a powerful class. And my, my class uh, was the major boat that won the Henley Grand Challenge in 1959. So uh, well, Harvard won more than the next four years. They won the next 40 years. <laughs> oh. You should have just stayed back at Yale. Yeah. <laughs> so they're back now, that's for sure. And, and by the way, when I, when I did in my back sophomore year, the orthopedic surgeon said, you know, why don't you try sculling? So I went down to the well yeah. boat instead of the Newell boathouse, yeah. got in a wherry and then a comp and then a single and then rode 
really seriously for the next three years and was university champion twice. So uh, I, I love it. <clears throat> and it's a, a great sport. And at my age, I can still do it, which is one of the great things about this sport. Yeah. You, you know, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about backs and back injuries. And I mean, they're common, they're common across the board for rowers. And a lot of that comes down to technique, comes down to how hard our coaches have us work. I'm wondering, Alan, when you look back at rowing in the 1950s and the rowing stroke that you were rowing, do you think it was the rowing stroke that was really damaging? And do you think the rowing stroke has changed? Um, I'm not sure that it was the rowing stroke itself. I concluded that when you're out at the catch and your body is basically distorted and then you drive everything all at once, it's going to have an impact on your back. I mean, I I had to be lifted out of the eight twice uh, in those first two years because there was just nothing there. But I have never had any back problems since I got into the single because it's even, you know, Uh it's even. And, uh, and I will tell you that having last rode in an eight in 1958 until 2022, the style had changed a lot. I mean, I had to really look at pictures and say, how do I hold the oar now? What do you do? Which is starboard, which is board, things like that. But one of my concerns was, could I get in this eight and row in this eight and not bring back a back problem that I had had 62 years before? Mm-hmm. And my back was fine. And I suspect it's because of all the meters that I put on single sculling. My, my body is still working. When I uh, began uh, 10 or 11 years ago, I, I thought sweeps looked like fun for the community. But I thought, you know, I'm, I'm 72. I, I don't think I want to torque my body in that way so regularly. So I thought, so that's why I chose sculling, because it was even I thought that was just kind of crazy to do with an aging body. I've had the opposite experience. Um, Sculling actually really wrecks my back. And so I am always looking for sweep opportunities. And I row with a very small club that is primarily sculling. So I'm having, I've decided that 2023 is the year I'm going to embrace sculling fully and with, uh, (laughs) with true vigor um, and see how, how it goes. And it's also my 50th year of existence so i'll um you know it's on to new chartered waters here Kara, i kind of <laughs> love that you're that you're giving yourself that challenge for next year because i am giving myself the challenge of switching sides i have rode oh uh, i've rode starboard bow since 2001 and i can t- like my body is very lopsided i'm much stronger on one side than the other and i think it's time for me to you know take up a port or and uh, see how it goes. It's going to be a good year. It is going to be a good year. Well, I became a yoga teacher for my rowers because I wanted to make sure that they were able to take care of their bodies and knew what to do, how to manage it and not to get injured. That was like the big piece of it all. I think that's something that's newer to the rowing world um, is the cross training, especially for masters. I think that there's often the tradition of just get in the boat and go. And there's no warm up, no, you know, there's no like dynamic warm up on land and all that stuff. And I think that's fairly uh, new and nuanced. I see such exciting programs on different club websites. Like they're like 
yoga and you know just all sorts of um, conditioning and and weight training um does anybody else do any cross training to support your rowing or to keep you upright and going i was at boot camp this morning <laughs> out a, for a you. person up here yeah. who does boot camp for an hour and i do it on monday and friday mornings but i hike you know i walk five miles i go up and down in the hills in the mountains and i i, you, I think of it all as part of staying in shape mm-hmm. and, and rowing is among the things i swim i try to swim in the summer 40 minutes or 45 minutes and you know, you just do a lot of stuff and that helps keep your body. It's all part of a package. It's not for rowing. Rowing is part of it for me. Yeah, I love it. I think of it as a use it or lose it, right? And, and yes. do what you can while you can. Yeah. You know, when you, when you talk about the rowing stroke, I've been in the sport for a long, 72 years in the sport now. I've seen a lot of strokes come and go. But really, when you stop and think about it, you know, there's not an awful lot you can change. You put the oar in the water and push. <laughs> I think a, a, an important point is you don't pull, right? The whole idea yeah. is you put you put the oar in the water and you push. Thank and, you, yes. You know, there are lots of different styles. You know, how quickly do you break the arms? Do you hold it at the finish? You know, how quickly do you approach the catch? Blah, blah, blah. And they talk layback, how much layback, all these things. I will argue that there's only one thing that's important in an eight or four-word shell, and that is, I don't care about the style. If you get the power on at the same point of the stroke, you are going to be in a fast boat. It doesn't make any difference whether that's the beginning, the end, or the middle. To get it on at the same time, you're fast. And the second point is, when you get up above 32 strokes a minute, they're all the same. Breakwater Realty Group, located in Portland, Maine, is defined by integrity, service, and expertise. Breakwater challenges you to create a vision for your life and love where you live. Call the team at 207-712-4041 or visit breakwaterrealtygroup.com. Breakwater Realty Group, the evolution of your real estate experience starts here. Are you a rower, coach, coxswain, referee, or organizational staffer with a fresh perspective and vision for the future of rowing? If so, we want to help you attend U.S. Rowing's RowCon 2023, February 3rd through 5th in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Apply today for a Changemaker Scholarship, and your convention registration fee is on us. Visit SteadyStateNetwork.com Changemakers for more information. Application deadline is December 30th, 2022. Steady State Podcast is made possible with listener support. Become a patron today for early access to episodes, discount on SSN swag, and invitations to patron-only events. Find out more about support levels and benefits at steadystatenetwork.com slash Patreon. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Steady State Network. Sign up for our e-newsletter and become a patron at SteadyStateNetwork.com. In two, we're back with Community Rowing Inc.'s Octogenarian 8. That's one, two. Um, I actually am glad that you said what you did, Bill, about pushing. Um, That's something I've been focusing on a lot Uh, And I'm going to continue focusing on through my winter training on the ERG. And I have a 
terrible habit of breaking my arms at the catch. It's a thing I know how to fix, but can't somehow the brain doesn't want to fix it. She's a hooker. Yeah. So I'm, (laughs) I'm working a lot, lot, lot on push, push, pushing, and then letting the hands just come on into the finish. Yep. It's just, uh, it's, I love, uh, we both teach learn to row, uh, Rachel both and I both to work with learn to row masters, learn to row and just teaching the rhythm of it. And then that idea what Bill said, just put the oar in and push away and all the things that go around that, you know, it's definitely a style thing or specific to your body or what your preference is or what your neighbor is doing in the boat. But, um, it's just a very simple concept and i love how we're all on this lifelong journey to perfect it and lifelong journey to get to those really wonderful um, moments when it does work right we love the moments when it does work and it doesn't wobble uh, too much i think we wanted to get to the eight uh for the charles so uh catherine you have coached d1 college masters veterans para why an octogenarian eight for the Charles. I live in New Hampshire and I drive down here every day. So lots of conversations go on in my head. The impetus for this was my dad is 82 and he had won a, um, well, he just gotten a notification that because he'd done over a thousand meters of swimming, I mean, a thousand miles of swimming in Mm. the last 10 years. So he swims a hundred miles every year. And I'm like, oh, he's 82. He's doing that. And then I saw one of my rosters and I noticed that I had some of my rowers that I have regularly, about five of them actually, that were 80. I'm like, oh, well, octogenarian eight, that sounds kind of fun. We can maybe do that. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, well, let me see. I'll just ask, find out who else I have. And I had hands raising and then I would go up to people, but I didn't have eight. So I needed to find eight. And so I would talk to some of my referee friends because I'm also a referee and like, oh, I know, I know Bill Beclean. And I, so, and then every, all my other rowers started throwing out names and numbers. And so that's how I got Alan and Lee, or I'd be out on the water rowing or coaching. And I'd come up to someone and I go, hey, who do you know that's 80 and still rowing? And they'll be like, I'm not 80. I'm like, I didn't say that. I said, who do you know? <laughs> And that's how I got a lot of the referrals. I'd, you know, paddle up to someone, hey, do you know anyone? And so it was just kind of fun that way. So I had a nice little waiting list and um, it was awesome. And the thing I've noticed was it's not that there's a lack of octogenarian rowers. There's a lack of octogenarian rowers rowing in eights because the boats are heavy. Seriously, I think that's probably the number one reason is the boats are heavy. But if you can row a single, you can row an eight. You know, it doesn't take but a moment, right, Lee? With what I taught you to sweep in like 10 minutes. <laughs> well, but, more or less. I put together some sawhorses that I could sit on and another one I could put an oar on. So I would learn how to uh, feather the boat with one hand and not the other hand. <laughs> so right. I kind of get that. It was a very funny jury rig. <clears throat> but that was kind of it. And we just... We really only had what a handful of practices and they were off and they did so, an amazing job. When we met Bill, my, I, my whole self relaxed because he was so clearly in charge and knew what he was doing. I thought, oh, I can relax with this. Thank you, Bill. Thanks. So Bill, when you're approached with a group like this, what is your go-to to just like 
lock everybody in and establish that trust that Lee obviously felt from you? I just, I was invited to take charge and I did, period. Sure did. <laughs> That's what coxswains are supposed to do. I teach novice boys to row. <clears throat> I've done it for 15 years at the public high school in Cambridge. And I get a handful of coxswains every year and you know, I, a lot of messages to them. But the first one is, I want you to be in charge. So, yeah, I just decided, I know how to row. I know how to teach people how to row. So when <clears> Catherine <throat> called me up and said, you know, how would you like to talk to Octogenarian Aid? Catherine, I said, nothing would make me happier. I'd love to do it. <laughs> and for the for the single scholars like Alan, what was it like uh, to be coxed again? Because after being in a single and being in your own <clears> brain for a while, like Lee said, were you able to just like, oh, relax. Somebody else is in charge. I don't have to turn around. I don't have to look. As soon as I got in that boat and I started out in seat number two and Bill was Cox, within two or three strokes from leaving the float, I said, we're all set. He's in charge. Just remember to follow instructions. And by the way, while you're at it, remember starboard and port. <laughs> That's hard. So, Bill, uh, at the Charles, what would you would you say was a was a top moment um, in the Charles experience? Oh, I would say uh, I was ecstatic about the entire race. I probably rode the head of the Charles in a double skull more times than I've coxed it. But it's the best coxing experience I've ever had on the head of the Charles. This group of people was just terrific. They were fan- fabulous. I was honestly, I've never had a, I've never had a better. Of course, we were the last boat to start. <laughs> Okay. No, second to last. Next to last. So we got, yeah, we got past her. Next to last boat. So we had clear water the whole way. And we steered a perfect course. I know how to steer the head of the Charles. Yeah. And the boat, I will honestly say, every stroke that boat took was dead flat set up. The blades were crisp. It was, it was one of the best head of the Charles rows I've ever had with a bunch of 80 rows in the boat. And I couldn't say enough about it when I got off the boat. I told everybody, we had a great time. <laughs> you, you, you should talk about the conversation between the stroke and the cox. <clears throat> so we're underway and we're going and Bill's definitely in charge. We come through the Cottage Street Bridge, <clears throat> leaving uh, MIT and, and Boston University. And we're beginning to come around up towards uh, Riverside. And Bill says, uh, where's the boat behind us? And I look over, I say, Bill, they're just passing us on the outside. He said, fine, that's great. Let them go. Let's just have fun. What made it such a wonderful, what, when you say it was a wonderful boat, what does that mean for you? It, it, it just had swing. You know, what, what we always are looking for in a boat is swing. And that boat just had its own swing. We, 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 were, we weren't trying to, we were trying to race. We were trying to have, a, well, uh, Catherine basically said, go on, have fun. This is for fun. Go on, have fun. Yeah. We, everyone was having fun and the boat was yeah. swinging. Like Leah said, you know, the blades were just clicking in. Man, it was, and the boat yeah. was totally set. I mean, you, you get in a lot of boats for the first time and they're flopping around and the blades are hitting the water. And you say, oh my God, what's going on? <laughs> well, we finally got the right people in the right seats, including Alan at Stroke. I mean, Alan, I... I'm so glad you ended up in that stroke seat because that made the huge difference in the boat. But it was, it was just a great run. Mm-hmm. So all the mm-hmm. boat felt great. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what rowing an eight is all about. 
And they had set from the beginning, once we did our first couple of drills to get everybody acquainted in the boat from day one, they had set. And what was also really kind of cool, we're talking about the octogenarians who rode the race, but we had had people who rode the boat up for them to get in it. And it was just as exciting to row the boat up to the start where they got in at MIT. Those rowers, it was their head of the Charles on the upside. Uh And it was just, they just, it was incredible. I want to I want to make one other point while we're here. I, I want to give a lot of credit to Kath. Kath, that you are a fabulous coach. Well, thank you. Fabulous coach. I loved, I loved how you put that boat together. First time I got in, I thought, oh, what's this going to be? You know, we got this, <laughs> holy smoke! You know, yeah. as a matter of fact, the first time out, I could not steer the boat. I could not steer the boat. You know, that's right. You know, the pressure on the two sides of the boat were even enough. I could not steer that boat. We finally got that problem fixed. But Catherine, the way that you instructed the people in the boat that had never swept before, the scholars, was fabulous. And I, you know, I've been doing this for 72 years, but there are some exercises that you ran that I had never done before, never thought about, that were terrific, that pulled that boat together. So I have told everybody I know what a <laughs> fabulous coach you are. Aww. And she also made it incredibly easy for us. We never had to lift the boat. She always found these strapping young 20-something, gorgeous, gorgeous young men who would just lift it up in one finger and walk off. And and we didn't have to row all the way down and then all the way back, which would have been a 10-mile row instead of a five or five and a half row. It made a big difference, actually, not to have to waste our energy on Sure. Lifting yeah. the darn thing and also um, rowing up. Thanks goes out to all the boathouse. <clears throat> Everyone was just so gracious and so accommodating. I mean, seriously, MIT let us hop in off their dock. That was just so nice of them. I think one of the other things that, that I remember most, we are the last boat of a three-day regatta. And right. it's light rain. And everybody's packing and going home. Everybody's gone. I can't tell you the number of cheers that we got going up that river at every boathouse, even along the banks. There were people saying, go eight, go eight. (laughs) That made it all worthwhile. uh, People asked me afterwards, was it fun? And I got quite confused for a while. I thought about it. Of course, the whole surround was astonishing. It never occurred to me I would be in the head of the Charles. I never even aspired to be. Here I was in the head of the Charles. And that, but that, the race itself wasn't fun, I think, because I had to be so focused. Partly I was new to this. I'd never been in an eight, right? And I just had to focus on the person in front of me and do exactly what they were doing when they were doing it. And so it was, a, it was not fun, but it was not unfun. It was just, you had to be in the moment. And then yeah. the, the, it, it was fun afterwards. It yep. was fun That's before. type two fun. That's type two fun, where it's not, it's fun after when it's done. Is that type two? Okay, <laughs> well, I, I experienced type two fun. It sounds like other people in the boat who were more experienced than I ty- had type one fun too. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully you know, no one had type three fun, where they're still not thinking it was fun. <laughs> It was terrific. Talking about having fun, I I want to just make one other comment. Uh, Bill and I are 
in our mid eighties. And I was away from rowing for all those years. So my rowing experience was back when you raced in a pocock shell, which yeah. was out of wood and the oars were made out of wood. And that was it. And it was an elite sports program on the East mm -hmm. Coast and the West Coast of the United States. You knew each college that had a crew and how good they were and so forth and what the coach's name. Being away for 60 years as I was and coming back <laughs> to an event like this and at the head of the Charles particularly, all of a sudden I realized no sport, in my opinion, in the world has experienced such an expansion due to change in technology. Isn't that interesting? Carbon, carbon fiber <clears throat> boats and carbon fiber meant that anybody could have a boat. You didn't have to go to one or two boat builders in the United States to get your boat who could only build so many in a year anyways. So going coming to an event like Head of the Charles and I did three, three years ago and singles again, and coming on the shores of, of the Charles River and saying, oh my God, look what has happened to this sport. Right. And it's a sport now for people who are 10 or 12 years old to a people who are 85 or 86. No sport can say that. Maybe yeah. but the crew rowing is, it's so unique and technology has done it. So interesting that you say that, Alan, because our next question was to you. They say life, rowing is a lifelong sport. Would you agree? And why? I, I want to tell you how I got back into this. Uh, my wife, we've been living on the Cape for 20 years. And my 10 years or more ago, <clears throat> my wife went to a local health club. And part of the program was on an ERG. And she's not a Norse person, but she was doing it. <clears throat> and then she came back one day, she said, you know, Alan, they're going to have a weight loss program there and they're going to be going on herbs. Why don't you sign up? So I said, okay, I'll do that. I've been on an herb before in my life because they didn't exist. Back in the early days, it was hydraulics, remember, Bill? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I got into it and all of a sudden I said, oh my God, all of this I've missed. And I've been into it ever since in, with a vengeance. You know, I just love it because it's, you wake up in the morning, mm -hmm. And you say, God, why did I wake up? You get in the car, you go over to the boat launching area. Oh God, this is painful. You get in the boat and you take about a stroke or two and say, now I know why I'm doing this. <laughs> and an hour later you get out on 10,000 meters or whatever it is. And you yeah. see your friends and talk about it. You know, I did this year, um, I did 830,000 meters on my single skull in six months you know, and I want to get to a million adding the erg by December 31st, but it, it's just so relaxing when you're out there. I, I couldn't person, agree more, Alan. I don't get that when I cox, but I get that when I roll. If That's I can fun. add a little bit out of this group and my wife would shoot me if she knew I was going to do this. But <laughs> my, wife do took, my wife took up rowing when she was 50 years old to prove to her kids that she was not a couch potato. She took it up and uh, has rowed ever since, single skull ever <clears> since, <throat> got in 85 rows this year in a single skull, raced, has probably raced in the head of the Charles 20 times. She's 85 years old. What? Rode in the senior veteran single skulls this year and actually won a gold medal in the head of the Charles because she was the only 
85 year old in the 70 <laughs> year old and older category <laughs> and, 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 and was embarrassed we had to we had to haul her up to the medal ceremony she was embarrassed that there was only one person in the race but we said no 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 yeah. no no that's completely legitimate yeah All my right. philosophy on that is it a lot of people feel that way if they're the only one or one of two in an event then the medal doesn't count my opinion on that is you've put in the effort, you've yes. trained and you've put you in showed the up to be there that day. Yeah. You deserve that medal. So Bill, we have to know her name because we, we need to know her name so we could have it acknowledged in the podcast. <clears throat> What's her name? Her name is Joan Campbell. Joan Campbell. Duly yeah. noted. Duly noted. Yeah. Thank yeah, you for yeah. giving your, your lovely mm-hmm. wife some props because that's an accomplishment. <laughs> um, Lee, I, I asked this question as much as I can, but Lee... And I know you're newer to the sport, so I'm interested in your response, especially. Would you describe the perfect stroke? Oh, God. I'm not sure I've ever had one, but I think it's when uh, you're well into your rowing for that day. And suddenly it feels easy. Everything is going so right that it's just easy and you're just kind of going along and it's working the way it's supposed to work and you're not having to think about where are my hands and where are my feet am I pushing am I pulling am I you're just doing it you're in the you're in a kind of a zone I think everybody wants that a lot of people call it flying or they're Mm -hmm. in the zone or I think Bill said at one point um there's the send and the glide you know, all those kinds of words and they all sort of get at the same thing. And some days every stroke is hard. It's just hard out there. Just you work and you work and it's kind of exhausting. And some days it just really slips into place. And that must be what keeps you coming back, right? Yeah. Yeah. Any day you get to row is better than a day you don't. For so many reasons, including that notion of shoving off the dock and leaving everything else behind. You know, Alan, you were talking about, I don't know if I really want to be here today. And I don't know how this row is going to go. And I've had that feeling so many times and you're stressed about whatever it is that's going on in your life. And then you shove off the dock and literally forget about everything else within just a couple of strokes. And you're like, you kind of have to. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have to put, I have to put the boat on my car, drive 15 minutes, take it off the car, you know, take it out to the beach 50 yards or something. And at the end, pick it up off from the water. That's a um, nice thing. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes around it, but it works. A few years ago, I did a project called the Rowing and Aging Project, which I asked rowers all over the world to answer questions. And one of the questions that I wanted to ask you guys was, what do you need in order to stay rowing as long as possible? I bought a boat with, that has a removable rigger and it's a pain in the neck, but it means the boat is um, nine pounds lighter so that when I have to bend over and from the beach and pick it up, I got it for not right now so much as in three years, it will be harder for me to lift a 33 pound boat. Now I'm lifting a 23 pound boat. I'll get to a more fundamental answer. Water, water, you gotta be close to water. <laughs> You got to live someplace where you can <laughs> either true. a club or a beach on Squam Lake or wherever, but you got to have a nice body of water. You can put a boat on and row. water. That's my answer. Assuming everything else comes together in your life and that you're healthy and you've got the equipment you need, you just need some water. 
Yeah. yeah. Alan, what do you think you need to be able to row as long as possible? Well, I, I think the, the first thing is keep moving. We row, yes. but in the winter, if I get tired of erging or sometimes during the <clears> summer <throat> when uh, I can't be on the water, I'll go out and do a two and a half mile walk against the clock just, just to see. And I, and I, I want to keep my body moving and my joints moving. Uh, awful lot of people at my age say, well, that's it, sit down. And, you know, the muscles wear out pretty fast if you don't use them. And, and luckily I haven't had recently any health issues that slow me down. Um, I mean, I, I, I Four, four years ago, I came in second <clears throat> crash bees, but I had just gone through six weeks of prostate prostate radiation treatment, Ooh. and I was rowing during that period, and it was sort of interesting. I was rowing on the erg, and all of a sudden, my times began to get slower and slower, and somebody said, well, don't you realize the radiation is having an impact? <laughs> and luckily, I had about a month afterwards, yeah. after I finished, I got back and got into it and and uh came in second which made me feel really pretty good ironically i came in second to a guy that i had come in second to 55 years earlier on the job right? <laughs> we hadn't Wonderful. seen each other for 55 years what? Oh, that's amazing I, I think you have to stay active uh, you just have to be relentlessly active and if you begin to lose it, it takes a lot longer to regain it than yeah. when you're 50. So you just have to hope that nothing happens so you can just keep going. I kind of love relentlessly. <laughs> I just, I just sent Rachel a message. A I just sent, I literally, I just sent Rachel a message in the chat that was like, relentlessly active, please <laughs> make shirts. <laughs> <laughs> Tara and I, ahead of the Charles, had the opportunity to see some collegiate athletes uh, warming up and erging, and Absolutely it was they were just beautiful. Stunning. They were just beautiful people, in incredible shape. And uh, we both said, "Okay, let's set some goals for 2023." And uh, uh, really, I feel like we're we're starting our 2023 early. We we've um, we're inspired, yeah. We're inspired, and we've decided to commit to some new fitness goals in 2023. And I kind of love relentlessly active being like a rallying cry. Yes, that's us. the rallying cry. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So, so thank yeah. you. Thank you. Lee, yeah. Thank that. you so much for that. Um, if someone was standing on the street and you said, I'd love to learn to row, why should I row? Like, how does that all play together? Like your, your philosophy about the sport and where it all kind of builds together. Well, let me answer in a kind of bizarre answer. I, I teach 14-year-old freshman boys in high school how to row. <laughs> and at the end of the year, in our final meeting, I always make a little speech. And I tell the boys a very simple thing. If the only thing you've learned from me in the year that I've spent teaching you how to row is to show up on time, I will feel I have been completely successful. <laughs> You know, I'm just thinking back here, and the only real coaching that I ever had on the water was freshman year at Harvard on the Leviathan barge and so forth. And, you know, Bill Levin, who was the freshman coach, was pointing out different things and so forth. Uh, when I switched to singles, the uh, manager of Well Boathouse said, oh, just get in the boat and row. 
and you know, and I did it. So you sort of become self-taught when you learn the basics, which is balance, consistency, and all muscle groups working together. And the challenge then is to refine those over time. And periodically here at Cape Cod Masters, we'll have a Tufts coach come in for a week of training, and he will give these little subtle tidbits that you pick up. And then that gives you a challenge to work on those, to try and make your lifelong motions a fraction of a second better. And you go out, think about it, stroke after stroke after stroke, 1500 strokes in, in 10,000 meters or whatever it is, all the same. And you get it. So the body is in this motion. And I think that's why step away from it. Not that you should, but I wasn't close enough to the water. And when you come back, it all comes back. Then it's polishing. I think Alan is exactly right. There's another thing about our sport. You can actually never get it exactly right. (laughs) You will never reach the point where there isn't something you could do better. Right. But there's a famous quote from George Pocock about perfection. You know, that, that, you know, one of the, you're always searching for perfection, but in rowing, like other sports, even golf, I will tell you, you never get perfection. And it's different every time. I mean, the, well, I, always, I always tell my learn to row students, you know, you could be technically perfect. Your body could be perfect, but mother nature is there. Your teammates are there. Your headspace is different. There are so many variables. And, and one of the greatest lessons of rowing is about how to deal with uncontrollable variables like that. Is your resistance to that or your acceptance of that, right? And you just, you gotta go with the flow, literally. Well, and also the fact that you will never be perfect. For me, at least gives me permission. I can just go out there and row. And if I'm not perfect, Neither is anybody else. And I'll try to do a good job, partly because I'll feel better about my row. (laughs) The whole thing will be easier and better. But at least for me, perfection is not the point. Probably because I haven't been um, a competitive rower since I was 12. You know, know, there's um, when I'm talking with my rowers, uh, it's not about perfection all the time. You can touch it once in a while. You can get right there, right to the edge. And when you're rowing with other people, getting three perfect strokes in the row is huge. And that's what I'm always telling. I'm like, you know, I'm not looking for the full entire practice or race to be perfect. If you can get three, that's a big, big deal. It's hard to get three strokes in a row that you're all catching and swinging and you've got that run and it's just those magic moments. It's, it, those are special and three strokes can do, you know, three is a magic number, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> and the rest is okay. Oh, I've got one last question, Tara. What's that? Okay. So how many of you would race Head of the Charles again next year? <laughs> hands are going hands are, all hands are ready. well let's That's stay in awesome. touch i think we plan on being there again next year we'd love to catch up with you in, in boston you guys this has been really great thank you so much for coming it's really nice to meet all of you and yeah you know tara and i always talk about how we can continue rowing until we're your ages so thank you for right. being such great leaders and, and showing us the way thank you for having thank you. us yep. thank you, thank you.
To see photos of Community Rowing Inc.'s Octogenarian 8 and get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. And that's a wrap on Season 3 of Steady State Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Tune in on January 8, 2023, when we kick off Season 4 with mother-daughter Olympic duo Lisa and Jebby Stone. They share the family's no-talking-about-rowing-at-the-dinner-table rule. They admit that, like the rest of us, they're still seeking the perfect stroke, and they emphasize the importance of finding and fostering joy in the sport. Hey, Tara, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Yeah, we should definitely tell them about Friday mornings when we get together for Coffee Chat. We talk about rowing, racing, and technique, and deep dive into things like inclusion and leadership. Yeah, we hope you'll join us Friday mornings at 8 a.m. West, 11 East, live on Instagram. Grab your favorite mug and be a part of the conversation. And sometimes we all need buddies to help us get through long workouts on the ERG. So we lead Steady State Sundays once a month at 6.45 a.m. West, 9.45 a.m. East. Join us January 29th and rack up some last-minute meters for the C2 Virtual Team Challenge. When folks sign up for this free 60-minute virtual ERG workout, we provide cues and insights to keep them motivated along the way. Register at SteadyStateNetwork.com slash Sunday. Catch new episodes of Steady State Podcast every other Sunday. Listen to more episodes about everything from indoor rowing to rowing across oceans. Search the podcast archive at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast dash topics, or listen on your favorite podcast app. We're interested in your story. If you've got something to share or want to nominate someone to appear on the show, drop us a note at submissions at steadystatenetwork.com. Steady State Podcast is brought to you by me, Tara Morgan. And me, Rachel Friedman. Between us, we have nearly 40 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience, and we run successful rowing-related enterprises. Tara is the founder of Seize the Oar Foundation, which champions inclusion in the sport of rowing through team training, outreach, and thought leadership. And Rachel is the founder of RowSource, designing unique rowing gear for individuals, clubs, and events. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Seize the Oar and RowSource. Steady State Podcast is a production of Steady State Network. This episode was written, produced, and edited by Tara and Rachel. Rachel also manages our website and social media. Our theme music is by the Free Harmonic Orchestra. Into way enough. That's one, two, way enough. If you were at the head of the Charles this year and stuck around Boston through Sunday afternoon, <laughs> afternoon, apparently. If you were at the head of the Charles this year and stuck, <laughs> God dang, I got the giggles. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. My face is relaxed. I'm ready.
pause for effect. <laughs> like, I mean, you should just put in, like, let that sink in and tune in. <laughs> we know you want to be there. Carol, what's happening today? 